White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 631. That's a lot of podcasts. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. Oh, everybody, we're back, we're back, and we've got a big one to talk about, about tonight. Hey, this is Van Allen Plexico. You're with the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, and it's a big night. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Andy Fix. Andy, are you there? Sir, I am here, and I'm super excited for this tonight. It's a big one. It's a big one. It is indeed. It's, it's, it was fun to rewatch this. I've seen it so many times, and I still get up and cheer at that one moment. There's multiple. Yeah. There's, there's no episode. <laughs> right. right. There's no episode I've watched more often than this one. I'm I'm not saying if yeah. it's my favorite or not yet, but there's no episode I've watched more often just because just this is wall to wall. Just incredible. That that is a, a good way to put it. This this thing is packed full of holy crap moments. I mean it's just yeah. one after another and it, it and the payoff that this episode pays off so much throughout the you know, of, of the first couple seasons, first two and a half seasons. So yeah, this is this is a huge episode. Oh, and there's not a moment wasted. Not a moment wasted in it. Right. Un- unlike our podcast, there is no <laughs> downtime. Oh, golly. Just throwing out the hand grenades there on us. Wow. Fair. Unpleasant, but fair. Well, let's get right on to it then and not waste any moments because we got a lot to talk about here. So, um, this tonight, if you haven't figured it out by now, we have reached Severed Dreams, which is just to the, just to the left of the midpoint of the entire series. The next episode, 311, is the midpoint of the entire series because there's two and a half seasons before it and two and a half seasons after it. But Severed yep. Dreams is the is the next to the last episode of the first half of the series, and it's the episode Everything Changes. Can I say uh, two quick things before we jump into the episode? You got it. Um, first, uh, we should have recorded this on Wednesday, but because uh, of certain things on my end, we could not. But on Wednesday was uh, the anniversary of Andreas Casaltis' birthday. Oh yeah. So I thought I thought that we would just give a shout out and raise a glass to Andreas because I mean even though we we will never know what the the series would have been like you know if there was another actor cast there. Right. Andreas absolutely positively elevated the the material beyond what anybody expected it would be. So. Kudos to him and, and just a, a, a big shout out to him. And the other thing is the CEO of the CW came out, I believe it was just yesterday, mm-hmm. and said the Babylon 5 um, pilot is still a full go. He's still 100% behind it, and they are still working on it, and it's still set for next season. So there was a lot of doom and gloom with the bloodbath that occurred at the CW the past few weeks. But mm-hmm. um, according to the CEO, 
it is still looking good for Babylon 5. I couldn't be happier about that, honestly. Right, I, that's, that's I'm, exciting. I'm a firm believer that more of a good thing is better than less of a good thing. And, of course, we, we don't know how it's going to be, but I'm willing to certainly give it the benefit of the doubt until it proves me wrong and, and proves a lot of us wrong. I, I don't like to go into things with a negative attitude. I don't like it at all. So, Agreed. All right. Well, I guess the only thing I, was, I would always say here at this point is we don't do spoilers on this show until spoiler space. So you will hear a signal, the jump gate signal, toward the end of the episode. And on the other side of it, Andy and I will actually talk about spoilery stuff. So if you're watching the show along with us for the very first time, uh, you can watch it knowing that you're not really going to get seriously spoiled. But when we hit the spoiler space, you probably need to eject, eject, eject. Also... We don't have commercials on this podcast. You don't have to sit through weird uh, interruptions and things like in some shows, which I really annoys me to death. But that's because our listeners uh, keep our program going. So to help keep the show going and keep it commercial-free and to be part of a nice little community we have growing on our Patreon page with some good comments and conversations, go to... And a special a special thing like we're going to talk about in just a minute here and there. Go to www.b5review.com. Did I get it right this time? You got it right. <laughs> B5review.com. Okay. Um, yeah, because it's like we call... Um, yeah, it's babylon5review.podbean.com is where all the store, shows are stored. Uh, and it's Yeah, but they're both singular. I always want to make them plural, but they're both singular. B5Review.com, and that'll get you everything. Okay. Um, let's see. And of course, we're on all the various podcasts. Just let's see here. All right. So this is episode 310, Severed Dreams. Whew, I didn't think I was ever going to get to say that, and I'm so excited. All right. How are we going to do it? We only have one episode tonight again. Oh, oh, that's the other thing I needed to mention, Andy. We've, You and I have briefly chatted about this and decided that there are more episodes this season and certainly next that need the standalone treatment, but there are some that really don't. So we've kind of gone through and picked out which ones we'll do two together and which ones we'll do one by itself, right? So there's it's kind of a mixed bag coming up. We're not doing an entire podcast on Gray 17 is Missing. <laughs> we, that just wouldn't work. right? But we're also not going to try to cram Zaha Doom into, you know... A two-parter. New. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Or a few others of note. Okay, so that means we have to do another flip of the coin or the Avengers ID. Do you want to... You, you know what? I will I will concede this because I did the, the uh, synopsis for the last episode that we only had one episode. I will let you do... Th- I, I yield. I will yield the floor to you. <laughs> that is very sporting of you, sir, and I appreciate that. All right. My summary is stolen straight out of uh, the uh, Lurker's Guide, as always. When President Clark tries to seize control of Babylon 5 by force, Sheridan is faced with the prospect of severing the station's ties with Earth. And meanwhile, in a subplot that dovetails nicely as we go along, Delenn receives disturbing news from a ranger and events proceed from there. I have to say, I had forgotten when I said that Delenn wasn't in the last episode, I figured she was already on the way to this meeting that she goes to in this episode. I was wrong. Right. Yeah, She's I still was on too. the station. I had, was under that same assumption. Yeah. And I have to say that I find it ironic that you boo 
President Clark when you yourself try to use him to win <laughs> the, the tournament, the, the the Babylon Five card game tournament. So we, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call you on that. We just fair enough. We are going to talk about the Babylon Five card game that Andy and I played. The video is out there for the patrons. If you're a patron, uh, you can click and watch it uh, on the Patreon page of this show. Uh, we don't guarantee it's the greatest entertainment and drama of all time, but it's got some surprising twists and turns, and you can try to figure out who wins. So that's and and I did in fact throw down President Clark into my uh, supporting characters on on my on the game. So because I was playing Earth and Andy was the Minbari. All right, um, just a couple of things about it, and I'll get into the, the program production number and all that that I always do. There's as I said, there's no doubt this is the single episode I've watched the most times. It's not really I don't think even close. The Lurker's Guide back in the back in the day, right when these were first airing, the whole show was first airing. They did what was called the P5 rating, which was just a poll of their people that would go on that website. So like every episode after watching it, people would go and vote on a scale of zero to 10, kind of like we do our zero to five. Okay. They would go and vote zero to 10 on how good the, how, you know, what they thought about the episode. And this episode rated 9.81. Deservedly so. (laughs) <laughs> I I went back and scanned through the entire run of episodes, all 110 or 112 or whatever there are. As far as I can tell, this is the highest rated episode of the entire series on the P5 rating. That's awesome. Uh, some come very close, but it's the only one above 9.8. Um, it, there's other factoids, but we'll get to that in a minute. It was written by JMS. Again, it's going to be keep saying that for a while. Uh, directed by David Eagle. I believe David Eagle, we said, was either... I think this puts him on the Mount Rushmore. If he wasn't on it already, David Eagle is now firmly on the Mount Rushmore now that I remember he did Severed Dreams. Yes, I, I would agree, because this was a fantastic episode. It, some some moments in there were really artistic and well done. I thought it was great. Yeah. yeah, it's not just that it had a great script, though it did, and that it had momentous changes to the status quo. It was also that it was a well-done episode. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is production number 310, originally aired April 1st. This was the April Fool's episode of 1996, but it wasn't an April Fool's. Get this. The previous episode that we talked about last time, Point of No Return, originally aired more than a month earlier. People had, it was February 26th. You, uh, you and I and everybody else that was watching back then, we had to wait five weeks after Ivanova says they'll be coming for us next, and Sheridan says, "I know." We ha- I had forgotten that. I had totally forgotten that the that stupid P10 made us wait five weeks to find out what happened. Ah, oh, that's just yeah, evil. Yeah. Talk about a cliffhanger! Oh my gosh, they did weird things with um with cliffhangers for this show. They would cut seasons in half. They would redo some and not re-air the others. And it was just very strange. It was very strange. Of course, we've talked about how it would air at like 3 o'clock in the morning in some places, like Atlanta. Right. I was recording it. Because it was syndicated, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was recording it on the VCR like every uh, whatever day. It was a weekday. Well, it was either late. It was either like Sunday night, Monday morning, or it was a weekday because I was recording it on the VCR and I was famously, I've talked about this a million times, I'd watch it during lunch on the cart. 
the TV VCR cart, remember? Right, that's cool. Yeah, I was watching it yep. while I was teaching at a high school. I was teaching college stuff at a high school. Okay. Notable guest stars, Bruce McGill, D-Day Forever from Animal House, is Major Ryan. Would you like to throw a quick factoid in here about why we have Major Ryan suddenly on this episode? I, I will I will do that, and I will do one better as well. Why we have Mr. Ryan on this episode, or Major Ryan on this episode, is because uh, General Haig, the actor uh, who was, I, I believe his name was Foxworth, yeah. who was supposed to play General Haig, was double booked by his agent and uh, was on Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. There is a famous outtake where during that scene when Chicks at, at uh, Major Ryan come in and says, where's General Haig? And the first time the actor playing uh, uh, Major Ryan said, General Haig is on Deep Space Nine. He won't be able to make it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Which is extremely funny. That yeah. is. So that was the, the story behind that. But now I'll one-up you. I don't know if you know this or not. Okay. Bruce McGill was not the McGill, the actor that JMS was expecting. When they were casting Major Ryan, JMS, who had forgotten the, uh, the, the name of the guy he wanted, I think it was Mike McGill, said, get that McGill guy. He forgot his name. So the casting director went out, Bruce McGill. So when he showed up on set, JMS was like, that's not the guy I wanted. <laughs> it was like, I, that's the guy you got. <laughs> I might have known that once, but I had totally forgotten that or didn't know it at all. That's a, I, I wonder who the guy was that he actually thought he was going to get. Because Bruce McGill did a good job. I, I, he did a fantastic job. And he's a face that people know. Mm -hmm. I mean, my wife and my wife sat down and watched this whole episode with me. I was very <sighs> proud of that. She, she was excited to do so because I told her how good it was. Um, she said, oh, I know who that guy is. I'm like, where do you know him from? She goes, I have no idea. <laughs> Most people know him from Animal House, but he's been in other stuff, too. Yes, yes. Oh, well, he was in uh, uh, Reacher. The, um, he, was, he was the mayor in Reacher. Oh, that's right, in the TV show Reacher, yes. Yeah. That's right, yeah. He can play a lot of different things. He can do accents. He can do different looks. Um, yep. It's hard to imagine that when he played D-Day, that was back in, like, 1978, and he's still right. rolling. <laughs> yep. Man, that's amazing. All right, we also had Kim Miori as Captain Hiroshi, who I guess was technically yep. the highest-ranking officer in this episode because she was, I mean, kind of alongside Sheridan. Cause, and this is this is where I just pull my hair out. The, the, the Major Ryan was obviously not as high-ranked as, as, as General Haig. Was he higher-ranked than Captain Hiroshi or under her? I don't know. I, I, I the the rankings of Earth Force are just too confusing. <laughs> They're to insane to, to work out. So, so somebody did a a, a flowchart yeah. of it somewhere on online that I, <laughs> I saw, and I was like, that makes no it's, sense. It's a flowchart modeled on the organizational structure of the Ottoman Empire. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Marcus. <sighs> and those are my parents over there. They're not really part of the organizational structure of Earth Force, but I just think they look good there. So. Oh, my gosh. All right, we had James Parks as Draken, who I guess is the uh, the Minbari that shows up. Uh, we, we all have, I have something to say about him later. I have two things to say about him okay. later. Rance Howard is David Sheridan. So Ron Howard's father is John Sheridan's father in TV world. I love that. I like that. I really That's like that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, by the way, there's a spoiler we could do later in spoiler space about him being named David Sheridan. So we'll get to that. 
And then Phil Morris plays Bill Trainer, who I'm assuming was the second officer on the Alexander at the beginning. The one that says, that could very well let me be. take the gloves off the firing team, Major. All right. I like that guy. He was, he was good. Yeah, he was. All right. Uh, do you have any random factoids and notes that I haven't already pulled out of you? Uh, did you discuss Jerry, Jerry Doyle? No. The random factoid featuring him? No. So Jerry Doyle, during the combat, during the combat scene uh, and down below, or in brown, brown sector, when the, uh, the Earth Force Marines and the breaching pod were coming through and the security forces were fighting them hand-to-hand, there was uh, a scene where Jerry Doyle uh, fights off three guys at once, punches one, kicks another, and hits another one with the butt of his rifle in the face. During the filming of that, he spun around and tripped over a guy, one of the stuntmen's legs and fell and landed hard on his elbow and cracked his elbow, actually mm. broke his elbow. Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't know it at the time. He was just in excruciating pain. And the director said, Jerry, I'm sorry, but we didn't get that one. Oh, now, Jerry, was almost, Jerry was almost ready to, to throw up or pass out. He wasn't sure which. He <laughs> said, all right, let's line it up and do it again. So they did it again. And sure enough, if he didn't slip and fall and land on that same arm, this time on the wrist, breaking his wrist. So he oh just got done breaking his elbow gosh. moments before, broke his wrist. And he looked at the director and said, I'm in a lot of pain here. And the director said, we got one more scene to shoot. And that was the scene at the end where Zach is helping him, you know, against the wall as he falls, you know, slides down the wall. Mm-hmm. That look of shock on Garibaldi's face is not acting. Yes. He was actually in shock at that time. They rushed him to the hospital immediately after they shot. They actually had to cut his costume off of him, rush him to the hospital because he was literally in shock. So that... It, <laughs> that was a very real scene right there. That's awesome. It's amazing, yeah, and, and how tough he was. And um, also, I believe they, um, because they film out of sequence, I believe JMS said, I was trying to find my little note on that too because I wrote down kind of what you were just talking about. My little note was something about also, because they film out of sequence, they had to do something else from earlier in the episode with him. And so, oh no, I know what it was. They filmed that last part where he's got his walking stick because he's supposed to hurt his leg in the fight, but instead he breaks his arm right. and his wrist. But he has his right. hand in his pocket, so you can't tell because they filmed it out. You know. So anyway, they were able to cover it up, and it was it worked out. But yeah, that's crazy, right. crazy. Um, all right. Any others? You want me to? I have a few. No, that that's all I have. I had that, and I had the the thing about uh, the the General Hague. General Hague. Yep. 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 I thought you probably did have Hague. That's why I kind of teed you up there, threw one, threw, threw one over the plate for you. Um, you. You did well. Thank you for the softball. <laughs> you got it. So this episode won the 1997 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. Would you like to know what it beat for the Hugo Award? And I think the sh- Coming you know, in Shadows know- won too, right? Didn't they win too? I think this is the second one. Yes. Holy crap. Yeah, I... I- I remember what it beat, but I, I I can't say off the top of my head what it is. So please please enlighten us. The the one that Coming of Shadows I think beat that was famous was Apollo thirteen. Right. This one beat Star Trek First Contact, Star Trek Deep Space Nine Trials and Tribulations, which is a actually I'm not a big Star Trek Deep, deep I just not a I've just never I don't have any grudge against DS nine or anything. It's fine. I've just never been a huge fan of it. It just doesn't thrill me like it does some people. But I, but Same. that's a really good episode because that's the one where they use 
video tricks to put them back in time on the Trouble with Tribbles episode. Right, and it has right. that awesome scene where they see the 1966-67 Klingons and the guys from <laughs> yes. Deep Space Nine are like, who, what, those are Klingons? They look at Worf and Worf is like, we don't talk about it. <laughs> right. the best thing. Brilliant. That's so good, yeah, yeah. Um, it also beat Independence Day. Holy cow. And yes. Mars Attacks. Yeah. So Star Trek First Contract, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Independence Day, and Mars Attacks all got beat by Severed Dreams. And I thought you might like to, to hear this. Um, the next Best Dramatic Presentation nominee is Babylon 5, the episode Severed Dreams. Listen to that crowd. This is at Lone Star Con 2. The Hugo Award presentation. I have actual audio. This is from Warner Brothers, directed by David J. Eagle, written by J. Michael Straczynski, produced by John Copeland. Three enemy furies locking on. Hang on. solution on the rolling oak and stand by to redirect all defensive fire. Hang tight. Coming around for another run. Commander, the Churchill. Hiroshi, get out of there. Get to the life pods. Too late to get out. Our primary systems are hit. We've got fire on all decks now. There's nothing we can do except... Hiroshi! Hiroshi! <laughs> there goes Hiroshi. Epic. Collision alert. Collision alert. Susan, look up! All right, hold on. This thing with not a knife, but a Texas toothpick. Here we go, the winner. Opening it up. And the winner is Severed Dreams, Babylon 5. Look at that crowd, Andy. That's awesome. Here comes JMS up on the stage. Here comes Joe. The snipers had that one covered. Uh, first off, this is dedicated to the fans more than anything else who've kept this show going when I thought it was going to fall apart. Second thing, I have a problem with television. It offers too many easy answers and not damn near enough good questions. When we began to sell Babylon 5, I said I want this to be about questions because the answers you get are only as good as the questions that are asked. The questions in television tend to be ephemeral and trivial. Will they get the bad guy? Will the bomb go off before our guys can save the truck? We know what those answers are. I wanted to do a show. I said, who are you? What do you want? Where are you going? And why are you here? Because those answers aren't easily defined. And they said to the networks, who wants to watch a show like that? Thank you for answering that question far more eloquently than I ever could. Thank you.
All right, there you go. I thought that was worth uh, taking a couple of minutes out to uh, to share with you and with the audience. So I agree. That was the actual them winning the award and JMS's uh, acceptance ceremony at Lone Star Con in Texas. So um, let's see. The the uh, just a few things. The events of this episode happened five days after Point of No Return, according to the ISN broadcast at the start. They're waiting for Clark to do something, but he waited five days. Um, Oh, I want to mention that, that Christopher Frankie did CDs for this entire series, and there's a really good one for this one. He did CDs for each episode, the big episodes where there was like a music score that really stood out. And I had The End of the Fire, Severed Dreams, and uh, uh, Sleeping in Light for sure, in addition to like Messages from Earth and The Greatest Hits and all that. Those, those CDs are so good. I've had them on my you know Apple Music thing forever, ripped onto it, so they're so good. A lot of good music in this episode. Um, I thought it was interesting that we see the Minbari Navy, we see the Narn Infantry fighting alongside Babylon 5. The only major race absent from this episode and from the battle are the Centauri because they're basically on the bad Earth side. Right. Um, Some unanswered questions. Was Londo ever able to leave the station? (laughs) Remember at the beginning he was trying to leave and... And he couldn't get out. The Narns wouldn't let him right. go, that, which he deserved. Where was he going? Or if he was coming back, where was he coming from? And um, did we ever really get the big secret that the ISN producer was going to share with us? Remember, he said, well, there's stuff you don't know. And then the, they go off the air. Was it just, you know, that Clark killed Santiago? That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, just a few other notes. Presumably the four members of the Grey Council that did not follow Delenn when she left were all warrior cast. Um, now, somebody raised an interesting point. What exactly did Delenn want the Grey Council to do? Because you remember that anytime anybody else has wanted to fight the Shadows, she said no. But now, all of a sudden, she's demanding that the, the Minbari do something. Well, do what? Because if they go out and attack the Shadows, then they're violating her whole rule about don't let the Shadows know that we know about them. So it's never exactly clear. I think she just wants them to commit, right? Right, right. I, I think she wants them to commit to Babylon 5, to, to helping helping the conspiracy. Yeah, but light. it's just, yeah, but it's just not clear that, I guess right. they have to walk a fine line, though, yeah. Um, right. Oh, in the scene where Delenn breaks the staff, supposedly they had to saw it a bunch so it would be able she could do that i don't know what it was made out of probably wood painted but i like that they sawed it i I was i was curious about the the zappy effect that they put to that was that i mean when she was holding the staff right before she broke it there's like little energy playing up and down the middle of that Mm -hmm. was that to indicate that the, the the staff itself had had a power source that she was breaking or was that Delenn using some sort of psychic power to help her hmm. break it? Or was that just, I, I, I don't know what that was meant to signify. Yeah. I always, my sense is always that it was a, that the staff has power to it, almost like a techno mages staff. But, but you make right. a good point that maybe it was something she was doing. I don't know. Cause we've seen that she's had rings and things that she can do things with. Right. So maybe it was something she was doing. That's a good point. I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. Yeah. Um, I had the, issues. Uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. The the actor. I'm sorry. I, I was able to look it up. The actor that uh, JMS wanted was Everett McGill for his appearance on Twin Peaks. Oh yeah. Oh oh the, no. Bruce McGill's much better. <laughs> uh, Everett yeah. McGill's kind of a weirdo. I don't. I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Honestly. Thank you for telling us that. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a happy accident. 
Yeah, it worked out. I'm, I'm, he, he was in, um, he was in Dune, the the nineteen eighty four Dune. I believe he was Stilgar. Yes. Yeah, he's kind of an oddball. I'm glad it worked out the way it did. But yeah, I remember him from Twin Peaks too. He's, but they have what they have in common is the director. Um, what's his name? Mulholland Drive, Dune, Twin Peaks. I can't think right. of his name. You know who I'm talking about. You all know who I'm talking about. It'll come to us. I, I, uh, yeah, that that weird guy. Not Alan Smithy. <laughs> That's just what he put. No. That's what he. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, that would be David Lynch. Why couldn't I think of that? All right, David, that's right, that's right. Yep, David Lynch. Yeah, um, I have a problem with Sheridan wanting to save Drawl and Epsilon Three as an ace in the hole because if you lose here, it doesn't matter. I felt like this <laughs> right. was their this was their existential moment, right? Do they li- do they win right. or do they lose and die or go to prison? If you've got an advantage, you need to use it now. He didn't know that Delenn was coming, yeah. right? So that. That smacked of of Drawl's actor was not available for this episode. <laughs> I think you're. I think you've hit on something. Yeah, that's like if in Return of the King, if if uh, if uh, Faramir and and Denethor had said, well, you know, they don't know that Rohan is coming, and they're like, well, we should save Gandalf as an ace in the hole for later, as the <laughs> as the hosts of Mordor are attacking. Like, dude, use what you got. Don't leave any bullets unfired in that gun, man. Come on. Um, but I mean, JMS has pointed out that he wanted it to be a clean fight where he didn't want aliens coming in, but they wouldn't have even known he was an alien because he's draw. He's down on the planet. But anyway, I don't know. Right. Um, let's see. Babylon five inherited a bunch of Thunderbolt star furies. I knew you'd be happy about that. Yep. The Thunderbolt. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. Those are the, they are even cooler than the regular star fury. I think the Thunderbolts are, I, I, I thought that was, uh, that was cool that they got some of those. They can fly in an atmosphere, as I understand it. Right. Yep. Yep. Not they bad. unfold their little wings, and yeah, they showed them at the beginning bombing uh, Mars. Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Flying through the Martian atmosphere. Yep. Uh, let's see. I this this episode made me think of this, and I think we may have touched on it a time or two before, but if we ever do get the new Babylon Five show, which hopefully we will, I really need them to show us this time that there's more than one television news network. <laughs> because so much of, I mean, I don't care which side you're on or which one you favor. That's not my point. My point is much of, much of our national debate these days is driven by the fact that we have multiple media outlets that, that push different points of view, right? And Babylon 5 gives you the sense that there's just a CNN. There's no Fox. There's no MSNBC. There's no you know, whatever else. And I kind of would like to be able to see multiple points of view when they go and look at the news. I I think that would be interesting. Uh, I would mention that it doesn't, uh, the United Kingdom just have the BBC. Well, they have sky with Murdoch and I, I, and I, and all that, I believe. So yeah, that's true. That, that, yeah, Yeah. you're right. You're right. right. I'm not an expert on British television, but I, I think they do have a couple other channels. Like there's like ITN or something too. And, that could be. Or I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully our British listeners will uh, straighten us out on that. Uh, let's see. JMS was asked why the title Severed Dreams. He said it was a, B5 was a dream-given form, so this was severing the dreams. Um, oh, by the way, uh, yeah. Jerry Doyle refers to this episode as Severed Limbs because of what he went through. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, JMS says the average TV script has 60 to 75 scenes in it. This one has 140. Holy cow. Yes. 
in an hour, in less than an hour, in like 40 minutes yeah. of television, 140. There's a lot going on, as we were saying earlier. <laughs> yeah. Um, there were so many special effects in this episode that they got it done two hours before uplinking it to the stations. That's insane. Yes. What, what ma- would have happened if? What would oh. happen if? if they, I mean, two hours is cutting pretty darn close. Really cl- That's talking about wet. You know, well, when Star right. Trek the Motion Picture went out to theaters, they said it was wet. They had just wrapped up editing it and That's putting the crazy. putting the effects in. So yeah, um, yeah. There's a there's an interesting story about making Star Trek the Motion Picture. They basically booked all the theaters and had the date it was supposed to debut like a year before it was done, and then there were such delays that they almost didn't have it ready, and it was going to be a disaster. That's one reason the special effects were so blurry in a lot of the motion picture. The Enterprise looks great. Not to go down that path too far, but the Enterprise looks great. But Viger is just kind of a blue smudge through most of the movie. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It, there's an interesting story there about all that. Um, let's see. Maybe we should do a – maybe we'll do a bonus series of episodes in the coming days where we can review, like, the old Star Trek movies or something. That would be kind of fun. I would be down for that. All right. Let's do it. All right. Let's see. Um, uh, ah, they made new visual effects for the explosions for this episode. Uh, JMS says, one night we just went out in the parking lot, set up a camera pointing at a plexiglass screen, and set off a bunch of explosions above it. It went great until one of the blasts was so big it melted through the plexiglass and the camera lens. But, hey, it looked good. (laughs) (laughs) I bet it did. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, JMS says, when I finished writing Severed Dreams and the actors read it, Mira Mira Furlan's first words to me were, so how long did you live in Yugoslavia? Oh, so wow. he he always said that he tried to include stuff that would have an emotional resonance with her having gone through all that they did in Yugoslavia. So yeah. Yep. Um, let's see. There's the thing about about Jerry Doyle. Yes. And okay, we talked about that. Oh, I noticed this when Garibaldi and the troops, and then the Narn troops that pass them, remember, are running down the hallway in the battle. Yep. They they pass a traitors can't hide poster with the same diagonal slash through it. So either they've put those posters up all over the station and they've all been defaced the exact same way, either that or they reused it from one scene into another because it's the last thing we see in the episode. Yep. And I have more to say about that. Um, You notice that the Narn really are just not good at firefights using cover. They just run right into the, they're like they're storming the beaches of Normandy. My wife, who served in the military, said something very similar to that. She goes, what the heck are they doing? Well, they, that was why uh, Garibaldi reacted the way he did, right? He's like, all right, we'll stop here. we got a bottleneck. We'll set up here. And then the Narns just run right by. And he's like, oh, nuts. And they have to keep yeah. chasing after him. Yeah, yeah. that's the Narn. Uh, oh, oh, this was interesting. Near the end of the episode, Sheridan calls out to the Agrippa, and he calls it the Roanoke. Oh, the wow, Roanoke is the Roanoke is already destroyed by that point. That's the Agrippa. I guess that's Dexter. That's Dexter Smith's ship, right? That's the. Uh, this is Captain Dexter Smith of the Earth Alliance destroyer Agrippa to Babylon Five and Renegade vessels. Yeah, I've heard that so many yeah. times. I can just. Um, so much for Captain Dexter Smith is what I said. Right. But yeah, he calls the wrong ship, and JMS later said, "Well, in the heat of battle, you know, he just got the wrong name." But I wonder. Right. It must have been a script accident, surely. Could be. Uh, all right. Uh, we talked about Robert Foxworth. We talked about all of that. JMS was pretty hot about that. 
he was asked about it a couple of times, and he said, we booked the actor long, long in advance. At the last minute, he bailed out to do Deep Space Nine, playing essentially the same character despite our having first dibs, so I killed off the character. Um, didn't change the story by the smallest measure. May actually have helped since it raised the stakes. Rule number one, never honk off the writer. <laughs> <laughs> um and then they do. He says he changed like two or three lines that you'll recognize. It, it did kind of the, the one line he changed that kind of annoyed me is he says um, is when uh, Major Ryan says to the second in command there. He says after they blew up that ship, that Hyperion class ship. He says, "Did you know the captain of that ship?" And he goes, "No." And he says, uh, "He went. He was with." He was with the general at the academy, and then he starts talking about he has an Abyssinian cat named Max, and he has kids and whatever. And I'm like, you should have just said he was with me at the academy, because it right. just it sounded like JMS changed it because the actors changed. And he should have just left it alone. It sounded weird. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That was weird. That's one of those things that would only bother you if you've seen it as many times as you and I have seen it, right? <laughs> Um, you pick up on the little things like that. Yes. All right. I think that's all the details worth worth sharing. So you want to get into our uh, categories for this one? Absolutely. Let's do it. So what was your high point? Oh, my gosh. I'm actually asking you, <laughs> what was the high point of Severed Dreams? Oh. So many high points. Oh, my gosh. This, this high point that I decided is probably my high point for the series as well. It is be somewhere else. Yeah. That whole scene when, when Delenn comes. Because up until that point, you know, they, they are just, they have just won the initial battle. They're like, who, thank God that's over. We, we couldn't have taken any more than that. And then yep. three or four more Earthships jump through. And the looks on their face are like, oh my God. And then oh, yeah. uh, they say four more jump points. And we as the audience are like, oh my God, what is going to happen next? I mean, yes. This, we are so, and, and I'm thinking back to when I was watching this the first time. I was so wrapped up in this episode. Yes. I wasn't thinking, well, this is only, you know, uh, episode 10 of uh, five, you know, season series. They're, right. of course, going to make it. I didn't know they were going to oh, make no. it. Oh, no. When I was so No, we up. had no idea at all. No. And then when those when those beautiful uh, Mimbari ships come through and Delenn comes on that screen and gives that speech, this is Delenn's moment. This is when she turned into a complete. A, a, a complete warrior. I mean, it was just super impressive, super cool. And when she said, you know, one man has destroyed a Minbari ship. He is behind me. You are in front of, in front me. of me. If you wish to live, be <laughs> somewhere so. else. I mean, that was just, it was, it was completely low key, but also very direct and part of my French, but it was completely badass. It was. Yes. I love how they say, we have jurisdiction here. You get out of here or whatever. And she's like, why? <laughs> or, yeah. <laughs> she just starts off with, why should I, right? You know. Right. Um, and I love that she's wearing the green and gray outfit here. She has that red and blue kind of Japanese thing that she wears most of the time. But when Delenn puts on the green and gray outfit, she's ready to kick butt. That's usually yeah. what it means is she's in battle mode. And I love it. Yeah, I love it, love it, love it. Um, yeah, I... I I agree with you, but I wanted to pick another one. I figured you would say that. So I'm going to say the uh, – and, and again, when those Minbari ships come out of the jump points, I think in, in 96 or whatever when I saw that, I think I was just on the floor. Oh, I just, absolutely. We, in hindsight, it makes perfect sense, and we should have seen it coming. But at right. the time, I was not 
there was just too much going on to stop. You know, nowadays you'd pause it and be like, okay, what's going to happen or something maybe. <laughs> there was just so much going on that we're just like, oh, what next? Oh, what next? And when those jump points open up, you're like, oh, gosh, they're going to get killed. And yep. instead, those Minbari ships come out. And I'm still kind of like, wait, what are the Minbari doing here? And then that white star comes out with the Lynn, and she's got that look on her face that yeah. you're just like, oh, <laughs> oh, didn't expect the cavalry to come from Minbar, but there it is, man. I remember watching that episode for the first time and literally jumping up and cheering and shouting and punching the air with my fist and everything. Yes. It was so exciting. Absolutely. It was, in fact, I did it again when I was rewatching with my wife uh, just a, a, a Earlier in the week, I mean, it was. So, it, it, it just, I get tingles, you know. Yes. I, 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 my knowing that that's coming, I know what she's going to say, and I still get goosebumps when she says it. It's just awesome. Yeah. An awesome moment. One of the greatest I, moments in, in sci-fi television history. Oh, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt. And I showed it to Mira, my 14-year-old daughter, the other day, and she really loved it too because she likes tough women characters coming along and kicking butt, and she was very happy about that. But. Um, yeah. I, I want to, as an addendum to that, because I have this as a secondary high point to mine, which I'm going to give you in just a second. One of the things that stuck with me and hit me so hard about this, too, it wasn't just a one-off. Those Minbari ships stay there, right? Right. When you, when you come back from commercial break, there's, there's one back in the distance, and there's one in the foreground just cruising by, and yep. they're just cruising around that station. And I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a spoiler, really, to say... This show has continuity. So if this was a if this was a show before this, before Babylon Five, we might not have seen them in Bari again. They might not even been there in the next episode. They've been off on some other story. But instead, right. they're still there. When the yep. when the next episode after this one came on and they show the opening establishing shot of the station, there's two Minbari ships cruising around it, and I'm like, oh, they're still there. To, again, to, today we take that completely for granted, right? We just totally take it for granted. But in 1996, when those Minbari ships were there the next episode, I was just like, this show knows what it's doing. These, these are people who care. Right, and which shows how much of an impact Babylon 5 had on the way TV shows are, stories are told now. Yes. I, I think that younger people just don't know. I don't right. think they realize that... Before this, they'd be the next episode. They'd be back in the Earth Alliance, and those Minbari ships wouldn't be there. They'd resolve right. at the end of the episode. They'd be like, "Oh, okay, no, you know, no harm, no foul. We're all good again." You know, Clark has reached out and given the olive branch, and you're able to keep going. You know, just like every other episode where Sinclair or Sheridan would find a way out of the thing. We talked about this last episode. This is where there's no more ways out. Right. Right. For two and a half seasons, JMS has put put the commander or the captain in the position of find a way out of this dilemma, and they always do. This is the story where there's no more ways out other than yep. to just leave. And and the fact that they left to this day blows my mind. It blows my mind. I always yep. tell people, I always tell people, it's like if in the middle of Star Trek in 1968, Captain Kirk had declared the Enterprise an independent country and just left the Federation. Yep. And that's yep. just unfathomable. And, and what is so frustrating is everybody that enjoys all the, the, the golden age of television that we're in right now and the way yes. stories are told now, a, a very minuscule percentage of them even have heard of Babylon 5 before. That's you right. never hear Babylon 5 mentioned as, as the progenitor for this style of, uh, of storytelling when it so clearly is. It cl clearly is. 
100 percent it is yeah certainly for america britain was doing a little more like that but not like this but right yeah, right absolutely. all right my high point Following these attacks, Orion 7 and Proxima 3 have broken away from the Earth Alliance and declared independence. Babylon 5 now joins with them. As of this moment, Babylon 5 is seceding from the Earth Alliance. We will remain an independent state until President Clark is removed from office. That, I just, again, was just on the floor. Yep. I couldn't fathom it. (laughs) Right. It completely changed the complexion of the show. Like, that. I always say, this is when you know for sure, if you didn't even before, you're not watching an episodic multi-season TV show. You're watching the longest miniseries ever made. It has more in common with Roots and Shogun and the Winds of War than it does with Star Trek and Space 1999. Yep. Unbelievable. All right, what was your low point? Oh, boy. (laughs) Now I, I I went with the emotional low point again um, when uh, uh, um, Sheridan has is is getting ready to go you know survey the the troops after the the victory and he doesn't have his jacket on his Earth Force jacket his uniform right. jacket and uh, um, the major says aren't you forgetting something or I think you're forgetting something and Sheridan looks down and he goes I'm not ready to put that back on again yet and mm. it hit me and I even looked over at my wife and I says. He never puts that back on again. I think he think he does once at the funeral, and then that's the last time. Does he? I think just okay. once at the funeral at the beginning of the next episode. Oops, spoiler, sorry. And well, just because they're they have a lot of dead. I don't think it, again. I don't think it's a big surprise. They have a lot of dead bodies in this episode. So right, right. Have to deal with it. Yeah. And then so, after that, yeah. no, after that, I think that's that's it. That's right. right. Yep. Um, my low point. Yeah was what I mentioned earlier. I'd forgotten I had it as, a, as one of my categories. So it was just where Major Ryan has the weird line about he went to the academy with the general rather than with me. That just was odd. But that's not very low point. What uh, Do you have an Orenzento overacting award? Because, man, I do. And it might be the low I point. Do I do, it, it, It's the Minbari. Yeah. The, 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 Bingo. The, the grievously injured Minbari that gives the information <laughs> to Delenn. It was a little... I don't Fraught. want to say bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good word for it. <sighs> so yeah, I, I think I think we're going to break our streak and actually assign a unanimous award to that guy. <laughs> it's been a while, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. the dream of <laughs> conquest. Oh God, dude, yeah, it, was, it was a little, a little overdone. But you know what? I felt bad for that actor because. If you don't believe me, go back and watch his scene. If you can bear to watch the low point of this episode again, go back and watch his scene. Throughout the entire scene, the back of his head never touches the pillow. He is lying there on his back, (laughs) holding his head up unnaturally the entire scene because he can't, because it would mess up the makeup. Wow. The entire scene, he's flat on his back, but he's got his head up like... Uh, you know, like this, and he does that whole thing, and I, I'm just, I, I just, I kept thinking that poor guy must have been like, they're like, do you, do you need to take a break? Oh no, no, just, just keep going. The dream of conquest. <laughs> I don't really blame him for kind of overacting when he's probably having cramps, right. neck cramps through that. Right. So, yeah. Ask oh, oh. Steel. I, I have a, I have a, a silver medal for the Orenzento overacting award. And it's the wow, first two nominees. Yeah, in this episode too. It's the first guy that starts clapping at the end. 
Because I yeah. always get annoyed by the one guy that goes, and then everybody right. starts clapping. Right. Got to do it slow and loud. Slow and loud. Yeah. And like, okay, you get your Emmy for your clap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. What do you got for the most Babylon 5 scene for this most Babylon 5 of episodes? Well, yeah, again, there was a lot of, of choices, but uh, I went with when uh, what you mentioned earlier when Sheridan uh, declares Babylon 5's independence from Earth because that is, I mean, that is the culmination of two and a half seasons and it sets the course for the entire series afterwards. So that is yes, one of the most Babylon 5 uh, moments in the entire series. It is. That's true. I have, a, I have two things here. I say the, this whole episode is one giant most Babylon 5 scene, <laughs> which I think is fair. It's not a cop-out. Yeah, it's fair. Is. Uh, it's a That's forty. True. It's a hundred and forty <laughs> most Babylon Five. Well, a hundred and thirty-nine, and then the dream. <laughs> I should have put that sound clip on my soundboard for the. If I'd known I was going to use it this many times, I didn't. I didn't prepare. Um, I think that my favorite most Babylon Five scene in this one, it's the scene that really always I think. Of, I mean, obviously the Delenn scene is the first scene we think of from this. From right. this episode, but I think the other scene I always think of first is when Hiroshi comes in and Major Ryan's in there and the command staff is in there, and they're all talking, but the camera's on Sheridan, and they're basically saying they're already on their way. It's too late, right? They're on their way. We can't get out of here. It's about to be. It's all the balloon's about to go up, and the camera is on Sheridan, and they do that push in, pull back thing, right? Yep. They do yep, the thing, the if it, yeah, the, for those that don't know, what you do is you have the camera on like a train track, like a little miniature train track, and you get it like right up in his face, and then as you move the camera away, you zoom the lens in. So you're going further away as you, it's like a push in, pull back at the same time. And right. it gives this really weird equilibrium effect. They use it again later on a Lita scene, just for the, for the, yep. for those who know. It's not the last time you'll see it. But but at the beginning of that, it's, it's just like a three second long scene, right? That moment. At the yep. beginning of it, Sheridan looks like he's about to wet his pants. He just looks like, oh my God. But by the end of it, he squared his jaw and like, I'm ready to take command now. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. He goes. And that was yeah. That was an awesome scene. That's the scene. I exact scene I had in mind when I when we were talking about the director of how artful artfully it was done. Yeah. That was brilliantly shot and 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 acted by uh, Bruce Boxleiter. I mean, oh, like yeah. you said, because it was so effective. Because you, I mean, you felt like the whole world was crashing in on you with that effect of the 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 zoom the super zoom like that. And then you saw him as they focused more on his face, how he, he was stealing his nerve and, and making that decision. I thought it was brilliantly done. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was really good. All right. Oh, man. There's just so many. Favorite character moment. <laughs> that, you know what? I, I have to go with two here. I, yep. I have to because I, I tried to pare it down, but I couldn't. Uh, my first one was when Delenn was addressing the Great Council. Because she went from, I mean, right there, she went from the Delenn who was unsure of herself and had anxieties about, you know, who she was and, and where she fit in the world to being the Delenn that was ready to take on the shadows. And that scene right there, she made that decision and, and she convinced, you know, most of the Great Council to go with her just on sheer force of will. I thought that was awesome. Even, even what she said to the guy outside in the hall. Yes, yes, even that was that, really cool. Even that was like top shelf oratory from Delenn, yep. right? 
I will yep, tear this ship apart with my awesome. bare hands. Yeah. The second one was when Sheridan was talking to his dad. Oh, he started yeah. out with the small talk. He's like, you know, the crops aren't doing so well, so I don't know what's going on. But you knew, and he showed later, that dad was just hiding the what his true feelings were. I mean, his true anxiety beneath the small talk. And I thought that was really well written and acted. And both both actors did very good with that. It was very touching, a quiet... Again, Babylon 5 does the action scene spectacularly. It does the, you know, the political drama spectacularly. But where the heart of the show is is in the quiet scenes, and this one, this one showed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? The JMS did say that somebody asked him about. I think somebody asked him maybe if he if he wanted to include like a little more with the Minbari after they leave the ship, but before they arrive. You know, like to explain who decided to do what or whatever. And he said, we could have done that, but we would have had to lose something else. And the, the, the scene that we would have lost would be John with his dad because right. that was the least necessary. And so I'm glad that they kept it. I'm, I'd, I'd rather have that I, than just a conversation with some Minbari admirals going, very well, Delin, we will follow you, you know, whatever. Right. Agreed. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I had to put this somewhere. So, favorite character moment, if you value your lives, be somewhere else. That's definitely my favorite character moment. And it may be my yeah, favorite character moment of the whole series, honestly. It's so good. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a powerful moment. Yeah. Um, I There is a couple of other little character moments I want to mention. Corwin's look when the Alexander comes through the jump gate at the beginning. Like, oh, crap, what's that doing here? Followed kind of quickly by, I need to make a decision. Right. And he does real quick. And he like. does. Yeah, I wasn't sure at first, but I think I, I think so. You know, he he's kind of like Zach, and that we talked about that before. He and Zach both kind of are faced with a point where they have to decide which side they're on, which basically Absolutely. comes basically it comes down to hoping that Sheridan and Ivanova aren't crackpots. You know, <laughs> right. and and Corwin, poor Corwin, he isn't too sure about that up no. until that moment. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that was something. Uh, I didn't I did note Sheridan talked with his dad. That's good. And then, oh, oh, here's another moment, great character moment. When Ivanova says she wants to go out with the Star Furies and says, you know that I need to or whatever, Sheridan, yeah. and they, they give each other a look, they pause and give each other a look. It's not a romantic look or anything like that. It's a look that says, I may never see you again. Right, yep. And that was powerful, I thought. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. My wife my wife picked up on that. She goes, are they a thing or something? I'm like, nope, they're just yeah. really good friends. And it, that's... That's when it clicked in, in my brain. Those two are really, really good friends. I mean, that that is, a, like you said, a very powerful moment. And, and I, I, go ahead. No, I'm just gonna, and he knows that he may be sending her to her death. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Or allowing her to go to her death. Yep. Yeah. I right. just want to say that the greatest character moment that wasn't would have been Lieutenant Keffer's Top Gun moment in that space battle. <laughs> I should have known you. I should have known that you were sitting there quietly gritting your teeth that Keffer was not part of the big battle, man. He'd have done. He would have owned that battle. Yep. 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 He'd have been out there. They would have been the the danger zoning, everything. It would have been awesome. You know what he needed to do? And Ivanova, too. And this is, again, because it's 40 minutes long episode and not an hour and a half or whatever. I needed right. some of the pilots out there to say, hey, what are we doing here? And they had to steer them. Yes. Could, could you trust all those pilots to, to, to follow orders and shoot other right. Earth ships? 
Right, to shoot other Star Furies. I mean, that, that, uh, you know, they might have known some of those guys. They yeah, might have yeah. you know, trained with some of those guys. They, it, it, yes. it was crazy. Yes. Yeah, we but, saw yeah, that with... That, that would have been a really cool moment. Well, we saw it with the Alexander at the beginning, the argument that right. Major Ryan was having with his second, yep. but we never saw it with the pilots. Right. And I think Ivanova alludes to that when she's saying, you know, we need to be out. I, one of us needs to be out. Yeah. I, I think that, that's what she was alluding to. I think you're probably right. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think you're right. Uh, what was your funniest moment? And we don't have a lot to choose from in this one. Yeah. The only one that I could come up with with uh, was Malari standing in line with the Narn and that the, the, the way the Narn kind of handled him, I thought was pretty funny. Madness. Utter and complete madness. <laughs> Oh, we are very inefficient. One must watch us at all times. <laughs> right, right. I, love I, that. I think all that aggressive compliance or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Uh, yes. You see, I know who you are, but see, the computer does not, and so right. <laughs> it was that guy that always plays the Nar. And I love. I always said there's like a. Right. I, don't, I don't. I don't know if he's the same guy that always plays the Drazi. Kim Strauss, I think, always plays the Drazi that has that very distinctive voice pattern. Right. But this guy always plays the Narn, and he's really good. I love it. I love it. Um, yep. All right. Oh, my. And that's what I had, too. Yeah. Um, oh, man. We're just zipping right along here. Who won this episode besides us? Uh, yeah, right? Right? Oh. I, I put Delenn. Okay. Because she, she's the one that, I mean, it could have been any of a dozen people, I think. But Delenn, I think her character arc, uh, this was, was the defining moment. Not not just for her character but also for the, the series itself. Uh, I, so I, I think it was definitely Delenn. She went into it, you know, with not a lot of power, and she came out of it with a lot of a lot of political clout. So I, I think she won this one. You know, you make a really good point that we might forget that earlier in this season, she was kicked out of the Grey Council and almost lost her ambassadorship to Babylon 5 and was, like, going to be in the Mimbari unemployment office. You know, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And to see how far she's come as a character and, and professionally, you know, with, with, within the Minbari hierarchy is is impressive. Yeah. I mean, she went from being kicked out of the Grey Council to coming back and taking over half of it with her. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's impressive right there. That's impressive. Right. Um, I ha- I just put down the good guys because finally. Yeah. They get a win that's going to last at least for a little while, right? It's not one of these where we're good until the next time. This is like right. we've <laughs> we faced the big challenge and we found a found a way miraculously through it. I, you know, I was thinking that too, but then I thought of who they had to kill to win, and that was shown very poignantly at the end when they were panning mm-hmm. over. Oh. All the bodies and the, the yeah. dying people in in the brown sector. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't showing just the the Babylon Fire security force. They were also showing marines, the marines that yeah. that were there that were just doing their job. Again, this these are people. I mean, they these could have been guys that were on the Gropos episode. You know, they yep they, could mean, have been Dodger. Just, they had yeah. I mean, it was hard to cheer when those ships, the bad guy ships, were getting destroyed because they weren't necessarily the bad guys. No, that's right. They were just, yeah, you just had to make a decision whose orders you're going to follow and still be loyal to right. Earth. And it's right. more of a matter of opinion as to who's being loyal to Earth than it is, you know, cut and dried. So um, right. I had to point because out. You got to remember, you got to remember that up to this point or not even even at now, there mm-hmm. has been no real solid evidence 
tying Clark to doing anything wrong. Yeah, a lot of circumstantial, I guess, but nothing just like nailing him down. Right. No smoking gun. No smoking right, PPG. Exactly. <laughs> and when you're in the military, if you're going to disobey the Supreme Commander, mm. you need to have that hard evidence. So, yeah, you, you can't blame these guys for, for doing what they were doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like to point out at the end, you see that Traitors Can't Hide poster, and the music gets very ominous to remind us this is not over. This is not over. Right. And JMS was asked about that, and he said the easy thing to do, the TV thing to do, would have been to go from Sheridan's all ships return to base to the exterior with the big ships and then fade out. But I try to keep this show from doing the easy thing. Yes, you had a victory. Yes, it was necessary. But what's the cost? We shouldn't glamorize these things. Even at the end, as you notice, even at the end of the reception, we go out on an ominous note. Yep. The enemy's out there. In fact, they even mentioned we're going to have trouble with saboteurs for a while. Right. So, yeah. Oh, man. Here it is. Here it is. Who goes first with their rating? I will go first. All right. We, as, as, as those of you who've listened for a while know, Andy and I each take turns rating the episodes from zero to five, and we can, use, we can indeed use .5s if we want to. We have never had anything above a 4.5, as best I can recall. All right. I gave this one a 5.0. Actually, it's 4.98, but we'll round that up to a 5.0. Look at you, 4.98, fancy pants. Give me a break. No, this, uh, as I mentioned to Van earlier, this was my second favorite uh, Babylon 5 episode of all time. So, it, I mean, it. It has to get a five. That you, it, it, I think you were mentioning that is the highest rated episode as far as the fans go. So I mean, yep. who's who am I to, to go against that? I mean, it's 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 a spectacular episode. It is a seminal moment in not just Babylon Five the series, mm-hmm. but in science fiction TV history. I mean, it's it is a great great science fiction episode, which is why it won all the awards that it won. Yes, incredible. Yeah, and again, I it's it's so great on its own. And it's so greater in the context of the whole series, and it's even greater in the context of 1996 when this was airing. Again, when you take it just layer upon layer, it gets more and more powerful and yep. shocking. Yep. I rate this one a hard, solid 5.0. This is my favorite episode. We just Look at got that. It. There it is. If I didn't rate this one a five, I'm not rating anything a five. Right. <laughs> so there was no question for me from the beginning, from the get-go. This one was a hard, solid and 5.0. That that goes to show how awesome this show only goes from here when we will, we'll have other 5.0s and... Our favorite episode isn't necessarily the same episode. I, that's I, right. I think that's, I think that's super cool. I'm just dying now to know which one is your favorite, which one's better than this one, because I can't. I mean, I can think of a handful, and maybe I can mention a couple of them during spoiler space, but I don't want to know. I want to know when the time comes. All right. It'll be fun to find out when the time comes. I don't want to know. But I can think of a few, and I think it might even be more off the wall. I I have a suspicion that it's not one of the big wham episodes. It might be one that does something quirky. That's just my little theory, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, you know me too well, Van. <laughs> All right, so everybody, please go to the www.b5review.com site and click on the button that says Become a Patron and join our happy family of Babylon 5 fans. And as Andy and I were saying, we might be doing a few bonuses reviewing other stuff. We have a, 
We have done a few bonuses over the last year or so. We reviewed the Dune movie. We reviewed the uh, the Foundation TV series first season. We'll probably come back with uh, reviews of Dune Part 2 and the next season of Foundation because those just seem like they're very appropriate for this audience. And they've gotten a lot of downloads, right. so apparently it worked out pretty well. Uh, we might do the Star Trek movies. Who know? We'll do a few things. But we're going to keep doing Babylon 5 all the way to the end. We're going to do the books. We're going to do the comics. We're going to do Crusade. We're going we're gonna to make up our own story and talk about it. Who knows what we're going to do? We'll do it all, man. we got a long way to go yet. So go to www.b5review.com and click on the button that says become a patron. That way we don't have to have ads. Um, we have to thank our patrons. And I'm going – I had a couple of comments here, but I'm going to switch over real quick so that I can – uh, thank our patrons. We have to thank Allison Rich, Colonel Dad, EJ Alexander, Leah G, Rich Hammett, his arms wide, Dan Mann, man, man, I'm going to assume it's man, uh, Emmanuel Seaman, Michael O'Connor, Stu Parker, Comrade Sheridan, he cracks me up, or he or she cracks me up on uh, Twitter, Heather and yes. Yancey Steingrabber, Ice Cream Clone, and Michael Halbrook. You all are so awesome. We have a... We have at least one new one this time around and a couple of that have just joined us recently. So that's really, really good, and I appreciate it all very, very much. Uh, we have a couple of comments. Uh, let me see. We got some comments on Point of No Return, and then I'm going to see um, if we have anything newer because I only check in every occasionally on there. Uh, Colonel Dad said, I think the neo-Nazi Nightwatch guy also played an admiral on Star Trek Enterprise. Well, that was the, the unnamed head of the Nightwatch Big, yep, big blonde guy. Yeah, okay. I, I know he was on Star Trek Enterprise, yeah. There we go. Um, oh, okay. I, I had mentioned something about I didn't like how Zach was like, when they, when he says to Zach, we're about to get him or whatever, and Zach goes like, yes, we are. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, eh, this seems like a character. Colonel Dad says, I just rewatched the episode, I think in the scene with Zach and the Nightwatch guy, where he says the traitors are going to get it. Zach is in an, saying in an ironic tone, yeah, somebody's going to get it, and it's going to be you, Nazi guy. So I like that. He says, I didn't see the overacting there, just a bit of I know something you don't, nah, nah, doo-doo. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's totally fair enough. Um, Allison Rich says, I've seen the trilogy of Messages from Earth, Point of No Return, Severed Dreams so many times it never fails to thrill. So well-crafted they are. Uh, the reference, uh, the inference of respect the chain of authority by Sheridan is an inspired move. I think we agree with that. Mm -hmm. uh, she said, another one of my favorite scenes in the whole series is this episode, in this episode, is in this episode, and that's when the Nightwatch forces are trapped in there, and everyone asks what's going to happen now, and the Narns stride in. You can see the pride on Jakar's face. Yeah, I don't think yep. there's any doubt that Andy and I are big fans of Jakar getting one up on the on the bad guys. And she says, this is one of Zach's finest moments. Zach's a good guy. I think that's absolutely true. Yep, and, oh, this is cool. Dan, our new, our new uh, patron from just a couple of days ago, Dan Munn. And, Dan, I apologize if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. I'm doing my best. Uh, found you guys on Audible. So we said before that we are on the Audible pi uh, app as well as uh, other apps. Keep up Very the great cool. work. If you ever finish all B5 material, I'd listen to you two talk other sci-fi show too, shows too. So there we go. Another vote for us to keep going until we're right. both so and old and decrepit that we can't talk anymore at all. I, I think if B5 gets picked up by CW, we might be doing this for, for a few years more. But oh, man, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Honestly, I, until I, this moment, I haven't thought about the thought that we have to keep doing this. Oh, my gosh. I know Van and I have talked about doing the uh, – we both love uh, The Mandalorian and the, the Book of Boba Fett. So, 
I know we have talked about that. If there's any interest out there about that. I know there's so many things that we could do, uh, that we could do next, but we've got such a long way to go until, uh, that point comes. Okay. Just a couple of other, um, uh, a couple of other notes. Let's see. Allison said about point of no return. I gave point of no return a 4.5. The Hugo winner, I guess she means the one we're talking about tonight is of course a yep. 6.0. I like Allison just like invented a whole new number beyond 5.0 and made it a six. So that's good. <laughs> Don't tempt us, Allison. We we might we might start using that that metric. <laughs> oh gosh! Oh no! Well, I can't now because I've already given this as a five. And it's my favorite one, so I got right, nowhere, right. I got nowhere to go but down, man. This show only gets worse from here for me. Isn't that funny? She says one of my favorite comments you have both made that there are so many times this show has made you think if you could step up and be brave. We talked about that last time. Yep. We often think we can, but could we really if we were faced with it in real life? It's one of the things I also really love about this series. I think that's absolutely right. Absolutely. Uh, if and I JMS, it, JMS has has mentioned, you know, he didn't he didn't want to do the the typical TV show where the questions that are asked are, do we save the ship? Is the you know do we do we save the 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 child and do we win at the end of the episode? The questions he wanted to ask are the ethereal ones, the harder ones that are to answer. Yeah. One of those is, would I be brave enough? Can I do that? Absolutely. To which the to which the the TV executive says. Who the heck would want to watch a show like that? <laughs> That's right. And JMS <laughs> says, I think we've, you've answered it better than I could. That's right. Right. Let's see. Colonel Dad said, I just re-listened to the podcast. I think Lady Morella came aboard B5 as a tired, grieving lady who thinks her usefulness as the Empress is over. Uh, when Londo asked for a reading, she seems reluctant with, oh, no, not, a one of the, not another one of these guys' weary attitude. Then she saw the brief glimpse of the future, and her faith as a seer is restored as she seemed shocked by what she saw. I think that Major Barrett played it perfectly, low-key at first, but then with passion and conviction at the end. By the way, Absolutely great... Absolutely agreed. Yeah, I think that's right. We talked about that a lot last time. By the way, great job, guys. I look forward to your podcast every week. Too bad it's only every other week. I know, I know that it's only every other week. It's just to keep us from burning out, I think, too much, and because we do other shows. I certainly I do other shows every week and just couldn't... I, I think we do about the right number for this, <laughs> don't you? I don't know. Agreed. And my wife would agree with that, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> Mine would, too, for sure. But I appreciate that, Colonel Dad, very, very much. Yeah, and I, I, wish, I do, too. I wish I could retire from my job right now and just do stuff like this all the time. I would totally, <laughs> I would totally do it. Absolutely. Oh. We absolutely love doing it. Oh, yeah. Oh, And, and let me just say this. I, I'll say this here, and nobody will hear it because we're at the tail end of the show. But... <laughs> Andy and I have known each other for a little while, and we've been kind of peripheral friends, but I will tell you that doing this show with you the last year or so, you have become such a good friend to me, and then hanging out with you in Chicago weekend before last, and actually in person realizing this is just such a good guy, I'm so glad I'm friends with him. So, Thank you so much, Van, and, and I would have to reciprocate 100%. I, I, you don't have to. If you up. think I'm a jerk, just go no. ahead and say it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> You're under no obligation to reciprocate. No. Uh, like you said, we, we've known each other, you know, we've met at the cons and we've chit-chatted on Facebook and stuff, but it was doing this particular podcast that we, we got to know each other very well. And, and yeah, we, we've hit it off. I think it's you, you are definitely on my Christmas card list now. <laughs> I think that's 100% true. <laughs> um, oh, Colonel Dad watched our card game. So those that don't know, we Andy and I actually played the Babylon 5 collectible card game. I used to play it 20 years ago in Atlanta. Andy had never played it. And uh, we can't say anything about it because the patrons got 
dibs on watching it for right now. Down the road, we'll make it available to everybody else if anybody actually wants to see it. But Colonel Dad says, guys, I guess I'm showing my age, but I don't understand that card game at all. Hey, it took a lot of... Well, Andy is just naturally gifted, apparently, at that kind of thing. He figured it out quickly. It took me months to figure it out, Colonel Dad. It took me months to understand that game, so... Um, he says, sorry, I think I understand Fizzbin that Kirk invented <laughs> better. <laughs> That's right, the old Fizzbin game. That's great. Uh, the you rule sets are not, are not that different. <laughs> I, he mentioned a piece of the action. That was the episode. Do you know a piece yeah. of the action debuted the day I was born? That's awesome. That episode of Star Trek aired on my birthday, my literal birthday. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah. Um, by the way, it's That's nice to put faces with names. Thanks for a neat, a neat change of pace on the podcast website. Cool. Well, I'm glad. Um, yeah, I, for, I forget that when Vane and I do this, we have the video open on our Zoom, so we yeah, can, we're looking at each other. You know, we, we see each other's reactions, and I enjoy making him do spit takes when he's drinking, <laughs> and he does the same to me. So yeah, and I, I watch I, your I think cat patrol you around behind you. Right. Yeah, the cat. Luckily, yeah. he's behind me this time and not. Boy, there was one episode where he actually disconnected my computer in mid He did like Garibaldi. He cut the right. feed. <laughs> he a little switch. He so, <laughs> I'm glad you guys could, could get a little glimpse into our smiling faces. Yeah, there you go. And EJ Alexander says the video was great. I've seen the cards for sale on eBay and they look great. Just never understood how the game actually worked until now. Hey, maybe we actually made it make sense to somebody. That's good. It right. didn't make a, it. Was, that was tough. That was a t- that was a that was a good game. Again, I'm not gonna give it away. I'm not gonna give it away. All right, on our next installment, we will cover. We're gonna be back to two for a couple of episodes. We're gonna do ceremonies of light and dark, and sick transit veer. So we'll be doing two next time because neither one of those is a wham wham episode. They're good. I mean, the rest of this season is good, but those are you know those are you got to take a breath after severed dreams. So we'll be doing right. those two. And uh, are we ready for spoiler space here to wrap things up tonight? Absolutely. All right, let's go through. Jump gate activated. All right, so we've gone through the jump gate. So if you haven't watched the rest of the series and you don't want spoilers, eject. Ivanova, eject now. (laughs) Collision alert. Collision alert. All right, I wanted to note David Sheridan is John's dad because that's interesting. Well, there went the cat. Because that's going to be the name of their son also. Yeah. David. Because remember, Delenn says David is safe. Yep. She tells John that in the flash forward. Um, I'm like, how must the warrior cast of the Mimbari feel after they're utterly and completely proven wrong by the end of this season? Because we never really see them again after this season. There's the Mimbari Civil War, and we get a little bit with Neroon and moments of transition, but we never really get a sense of how the Minbari changed the way that we do Earth. Because we have ISN for Earth, right? Right. But there's, there's no Minbari news network to tell us, you know, what's, you know how things change. So you, you got to pick up the newspaper. They, they have that one <laughs> section about the Minbari in the newspaper. I wish he would. <laughs> that's one thing. I wish he would keep the paper newspaper when they do the reboot. That would be so <laughs> funny. They're like, you know that for a while people quit buying these things, but now they're back. <laughs> The sad part is, the sad part is, there might be actors on the show who have never held a real newspaper before. Good grief! Oh my gosh, yeah. you're right, you're right. Um, let's see. Yeah, ship of tears starts the arc moving again. It doesn't really let up. Uh, oh, he. This is interesting. He says, JMS says, 
I'm looking to I'm looking to find a way to bring Franklin's father, the general, back into the storyline now to help resolve uh, some things. I think he would tend to fall on the Clark side, and it would be good to show that some people may think that yes, there's a problem, but you solve it from within, not by breaking away. Now right. we know that never happens. We never see Franklin's father again. But I think right. it's interesting to point out that somebody that we do know and respect would have been on the other side, and right. and not the only one because I believe Lockley. Lockley was a Clark supporter. Yeah, Clarky. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I think they could have done more with that than they did, by the way. But we'll talk about that when we get I, to season five. I agree one hundred percent. And they could not have possibly have known what the political, uh, st- uh, the politics of the, the of the world would be. You know, thirty five, forty years in the future. Yeah. But yeah, I mean there there are there are issues that could have been dealt with back then that that are arising and have been uh, present today. So, yeah. Oh, very it, very interesting how, how cool that would have been. And that might be something that he leans into. You Maybe know, JMS, so. with the experience of the past five, ten years, he might really lean into that. He's not one to shy away from no. politics or, no. or, or making you know, making statements. No. So no, no. I, I, think, I think that there's a lot of meaty material in Babylon 5 that is, could be even meatier now. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I think that the stuff that we... Stuff that seemed far-fetched in 1996-97 seems tame today. For better right. or worse, and whatever side you're on, I don't care, people. But I'm just saying there's stuff that goes on whatever today right. that, that would have seemed as science fiction-y as anything in 1996-97 yeah. on this show. Well, and I'm not even talking specifically American politics. I'm just talking right. global politics. I oh, mean, yeah. Who would have guessed that there would be you know, a war in Europe? Oh, you know, I know in, it. In I mean, it's just insane. insane. My wife at the at the end of the show, you know, kind of looked over me. And she goes, "Wow, that episode, you know, was powerful." Mm-hmm. She said, "Think of everything that's going on that has been going on, and how, you know, that that resonates with her mm-hmm. because of, of everything that happened." And and she was able to pick up on that just watching that one episode. So, yeah, yeah. I always like to hear your wife's reaction because I know that she's not a fan, but she can appreciate well done material and so it's interesting to see when she realizes how well done this is yes and my wife is not a science fiction fan at all i'm right. i'm forcing her to watch star wars for the first time in her entire life so we can oh, watch wow. obi-wan together oh yeah. wow yeah. <laughs> holy yeah. cow okay <laughs> wow all right so um, yeah to, to get her to sit down for an episode of this and to actually make it through the entire episode and for her to to come away with a, a positive attitude towards it that that was that was really cool but i knew this was the episode that that would do that yeah yeah uh my last spoiler thing is just and i already mentioned it so which is that we do see the minbari ships circling babylon 5 like through the rest of this season and most of the next season yep they can't, they only, can't uh, leave it yeah yeah it, it, it like you said it shows up not not even in just the next episode but throughout you mm-hmm. know the rest of the the season my only uh, spoiler bit was uh, his uniform because it really, it really hit me. He never puts that on again. You mentioned he puts it on for the funeral, but I mean, he goes from this to the black uniform, yeah, and then from that to you know being president. I mean, mm-hmm. his career, his Earth Force career, effectively ended in this episode. I mean, it did. Earth Force is still a thing after this episode, and even after the series, but. He 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 is no longer of Earth. He is now, you know, John Sheridan of the the Galactic Council. 
you know. And it, it's it's interesting too to me what you since you mentioned that that after this episode, there's no reason to think that this command staff should still be in charge of the station. They just kind of like make themselves in charge of the station, right? right? <laughs> it's like a coup. Uh, it is, and they're and they're just or like pirates. Mutiny. Yeah, yeah. A mutiny. Yeah, they're like exactly. pirates. Yeah, he's the pirate captain. He's the, he's he's ruling the station because he's ruling the station, not because anybody right. has authority to put him there. Yep, absolutely. It's and it's only it's only because of his sure you know his conviction that he is right that people still follow him. Yeah, they they get the black uniforms at the end of the next episode. I don't again I think that's any secret. What do you think about right. those? Eh, I'm I'm <laughs> I mean. At the time, I thought it was cool because it was a change. You know, mm-hmm. it was something you didn't expect because right. that's a whole new wardrobe expense. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, they're kind of dull, I guess. They're odd. You know, they're just yeah. They're black but, with that pattern on the front, right? And on right. The shoulders. And I mean, it's not the worst uniform to, to show up in, in the Babylon Five series. We'll we'll see that down the road. But um, <laughs> and I guess it was intentional that that they're they're not as militaristic as. As the uh, Earth Force uniforms are, they're more... They're less military and more cosmic or something. Right, right, exactly. They're, they're, yeah, exactly. They, I don't want to say they're Minbari, but they lean towards that... Yeah. That more philosophical type of... More of a monk's uniform than, hmm. than a, a, a warrior's uniform. Well, I do own one. Yes, you mentioned this. It occasionally fits me. Occasionally <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> if I can get a if I can get a firm commitment that you're coming to that which shall not be mentioned because I get I got <laughs> commented on for mentioning it, then I might I might bring it this fall for the event that shall not be mentioned. Uh, and and we we can discuss this later, but I will I will be able to confirm my my attendance if we are doing the, yeah. the thing that we have talked about. The thing that we shall not mention. All right. Right. That's all I've got. That's all I got. It was it was so much fun rewatching this episode again. It was like I said, I got the goosebumps at the same period. I jumped up and cheered at the same time. I mean, it was it was really fun watching this episode again. I'm glad I'm glad we're doing this. I you know, real quick, I was I'm giving a final exam the other day and the, all my exams are still online this semester. They're going back to the room next semester, but they were all online, but I still had to be in the room. I'm like, okay, I'm in here with my new Promethean giant 4K screen. I'm going to bring up HBO Max, and I'm going to watch Severed Dreams on this giant screen with the giant speakers. And yeah. it wouldn't let me access <laughs> HBO from the college account. Stupid VPN. I had to watch it on my phone, that great episode on my phone. Made me so disappointed. Oh, that's that's go. awful. If I thought how about awesome it, is it that, that we have this this technology at our fingertips where we can watch yeah. one of the greatest episodes in sci-fi television history whenever we want, wherever we Anywhere. want. Anywhere, that's pretty darn cool. I so here's the thing: I own the entire Babylon Five series on DVD. I own it on Apple iTunes. And Same. it's on HBO Max, yep. and I have every episode ripped as a MKV file and as an MP4 file. All I had to do was just transfer one of my MP4 files onto a USB drive and take it with me, and I didn't do it because I thought, I'll just get it on HBO Max. Yeah. So, nope. I'm, more fool me. All right, we're going to get out of here for another, another fortnight. But Andy and I will be back in two weeks to talk about uh, Ceremonies of Light and Dark and Sick Transit Veer. Have a good evening, Andy, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, sounds good, man. Take care. 
This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.